This is Channel 253. In this episode of What Say You? We do need officers to respond. Nobody wants to have to call in a rape, a robbery, a burglary, an assault, and nobody responds. Right. That's not what you want. You just want to make sure that the response is fair and just and ethical and that you get the same response, whether you have melanin in your skin or not. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. What say you? Real sisters. Real talk. What say you? Down-to-earth conversations between sisters about life, work, family, and the pursuit of an anti-racist community. Hi, I'm Audrey. And I'm Melanie. What What say say you? Hey, sister, soul, sister, sister, soul, sister. How you doing today, my sister, Melanie Denise? Well, girl, let me just say... That uh-huh. I am living my best life right now because it is T minus nine days and I am leaving on a jet plane out of America. Okay, because <laughs> the people are absolutely bum cracking crazy right now. And my whole body, soul, and being is traumatized. I'm going back to Africa. The people that have <clears throat> been telling me to go back, you know how they say, go back to Africa. I am gladly going. Okay, girl. Now, ready to say. I know Listen. you. I know you felt my energy on that, but let me just calm down. I'm good. How about you? Okay, girl. Okay. Well, look. I was getting ready to say, girl. You go. You always talking about ain't nobody the boss of you. You gonna let the white people tell you what to do? You going back to Africa? Well, the the ones the white people that tell me to go back to Africa, they absolutely ignorant because they ain't never been where I'm going. So mm-hmm. when I holler at you on Facebook or whatever I do when I'm there, you know, it'll be on the beach somewhere in the middle of summer. So let them just go ahead and, and be that because I'm speaking for real. I know what I'm going to. How you doing, sweetie? Girl, I am well. I am well and good and grand. Um, Ooh, that was a lot. Yeah. Look, let me tell you something. I have found the center. You know how I was talking about finding my center, staying at center. Yep. It's my center. Oh, I am so stuck to him. So there is not, there is not a person in this world, and I say this with such conviction right now. Mm, say it. You can't touch me. Oh, do, 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 Cannot touch yeah, my girl. Can't bring it down. Mm. I, that's how centered I am. Okay. Okay. Asking. Okay. So I guess that both of us are in a joyful spirit. And yeah. today, woo, we best to bring woo. the whole community some joy. Girl. Yes. What we doing, doing today, girl? Go ahead and tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them. Okay. So we are, mm, I'm just going, mm, 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 hold on to it right now. We are going to interview the oh author of mm. this new leadership book that's out. And mm. it's got an interesting perspective because mm. it's written by a Black woman that rose to the ranks of police chief, chief in Seattle, and then listen for the 253 hook. She from Tacoma. Shut up. Yes, 100. 100. And listen, listen, listen. I'm going to say her name in a minute. You already know, but listen. You're talking about perspective because the percentage of black women that could say they was chief is so tiny that we're getting an inside view. Let's welcome to the What Say You platform. Carmen Best is in the house. 
Yay! Oh, I love it. You too. Already, my spirit is just overjoyed. You guys are just all so funny and so awesome. Uh, I'm excited about, you know, one day I'm going to have to go back to Africa now. <laughs> and yeah, and um, uh, you know, listening to um, Audrey talk about how her spirit is uplifted. And now I have a new term to use, the 253 hook. Yes. Incorporate <laughs> so that as well. We so. do, because you're ours. We claim you, and this channel is all about that, everything. And so, in preparation for your visit, we've been asking um, our village questions. Some of them, like, really want to know some stuff. And we already told you, like, if you don't want to spill the tea, it's not that kind of show, Just we just gonna pass. But we really would like to speak with you today in our time and learn what others don't know. You know, they, um, they see you on MSNBC, they see you on King 5, they saw you when you were the communications um, spokesperson for the police department, saw you all the time. So your face and name is familiar, but what, what we hope on what say you today is that we can um, just hear from your heart. Sister, sure. what say you? Yeah, and before we get started, I had a song on my heart. Oh. When you were introducing Carmen. Yes, go girl. I just need to get it out just real quick, just a real quick one. All right. This, all right. this when you were list uh, listing all of Carmen's remarkable accomplishments the song i thought about was the stylistics you are everything and everything is you well you are everything and everything is you okay (laughs) and that's true all right that's that was a drop the mic girl it's true thank you yeah well that's it Let's get going. Okay, now, um, I, I, listeners, I told you a little bit about Carmen's background, and we can organically get into that. Um, yeah, Carmen, talk to us about your Tacoma roots, okay? Um, what are your receipts there? Tell us your history. Well, you know, Melanie, uh, I'm really proud of being from Tacoma. I talk about it all the time. Although I haven't lived there in many years, I'm always visiting. I got family there. My grandfather settled there uh, in the hilltop area back in the um, late 50s, early 60s. You know, my mom and her 13 brothers and sisters all went to school in Tacoma. Um, I think most of them went to stadium. Uh, and, What's your family I, name though? Say their name. Hilliard, the Hilliard family. Hilliard family. So, okay. uh, and so even my grandfather's pictures on the side of the community center uh, up in uh, the Hilltop Center, uh, Hilltop area. All right. So, so our family's been there, you know, now it's going on five generations because we're getting a little older, a little longer too. Um, and uh, certainly uh, I'm just, you know, had a wonderful experience and very thankful uh, for the experiences I had as a young African-American woman growing up in Tacoma. And I can tell you that even today, as you know, I was with many of my friends who went to school with me in Tacoma, mm-hmm. all very successful, all have done very well, have great children, and in some cases, grandchildren. And so we all relish our Tacoma roots. And um, some are still there, but we relish the, the, all the times that we had, um, the good and bad that mm-hmm. the made today yeah Tacoma is such a special place I mean as I travel around the world it's no place like home okay you know it's just and then the the what I love is the infusion of the military community because that's how we got here right we we got here and then uh, because my father uh Robert James Cunningham Warren Officer Cunningham uh got stationed at uh Fort Lewis and we came in what 73 cents 73. Yeah, we mm-hmm. yeah. So Lincoln, you went to Lincoln. That's where uh, the one time I did cut school. Remember that, Audrey, when I cut school and went to Lincoln? <laughs> you you, you drug me. On yourself. Yeah. And, yeah. And she drugged me with her. Yes. Yeah. The one and only time I ever cut school was under duress. But yes, we were <laughs> Lincoln. And we only we only lasted like five minutes before we got caught. Caught. Yeah. By the well, we called them narcs back then. I guess they called resource officers now. Uh-huh. He, he recognized, okay, who are you? How are you here? <laughs> we from Lakewood, you know? <laughs> so that, yeah. 
that's, close, but not the same. <laughs> yeah, that's the difference between lake. There was back then, you know, but the Lakewood girls always went to Tacoma to get a boyfriend. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Shout out to the Patterson. Hey, Mel Patterson. That was my boyfriend. Male dated two of them. Male dated two of them. I'm putting that business on the street. Go ahead, girl. Why you got to do all of that? You so extra. Because that's how I do. Okay, you is you you is really extra. Okay, let's start off by um let's see, where do we want to jump in? I, I think let's let's go with let's go with what led you to the book, the black and blue. Let's go, let's start there because I want to know, let's talk about some of these lessons and then we'll hear the stories and then try to work our way in. So what led you to Black in Blue? And I love that title. I understand oh, it. I was getting ready to say that. Black yeah. in Blue. That is so deep. Yeah. yeah. It's really funny because I would have thought that somebody had already taken that, but there's a lot of Black and Blue and other terms, but, you know, this is Black in Blue in the uniform. I thought it really was representative of sort of the last, you know, 30, almost 30 years of my life, really. But, um, you know, after that, you know, that last two years, we went through such a, uh, social justice and racial reckoning, you know, and it, and locally anyway, I felt like I was in many ways like in the center of a lot of it, at least in Seattle. Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, once, you know, after all the dust had settled, my, you know, um, retired and things are moving on, I really felt like it was important to write about some of those experiences, to share some of those experiences. And in many ways, it was cathartic, too, just to sort of put it all out on paper. Um, but I didn't want to derogate or you know, put anything down necessarily. I wanted it to be, well, I talked about challenges, but I wanted it to be positive. You know, some lessons, some things that people could take away um, that might benefit them along the way. You know, I certainly hope not to be the last uh, woman police chief. And I hope that um, as people read through and read about some of the leadership lessons, that they'll take away some good positive um, um, tidbits and information that can help them along the way as well. Um, Carmen, do you think that had you not been a woman, that things would have turned out differently. Reactions to your performance, if you will, would have been different had you not been a woman. Yeah, you know, it's really possible. You know, I think that it's hard to say. I will say this. Um, uh, we did have one female before me, uh, Chief Kathleen O'Toole, who I talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. And then we've had, you know, one other African-American person before me who was a male. But in all my years, I really hadn't seen that level of, I can't describe it any other way than as disrespect <laughs> that came from some of the electeds, not all, mm -hmm. but some. And, you know, I thought that was, it was just felt very unique to me. Mm -hmm. right? and, uh, and so I, I've never seen it before and I haven't seen it since. So I have to say that did have some sort of impact, at least for some people uh, on my treatment. Not everybody, yeah. but some people. Well, so a couple things. I got two, three things wrapped up in here. I think had it not been a black woman, I'm going to put black in front of that. That's, that's this yeah. Melanie talking. Um, because there you, you've been around you were in charge of the criminal division and or i mean that's what i think so right criminal division the investigation investigations yeah. i mean that's hardcore stuff operations yeah. that's hardcore yeah. stuff and then but the, then when the power rises you know the white woman has been in charge before maybe maybe she got some but not to this level, just merely talking. But I'm going to say, seeing you on television, seeing you out there representing and, and uh, you know, just knocking this down and handling your business back and forth. When you were at the press conference, when you uh, said that you were done, yeah. I was like, well, it's about damn time, girl. You know, how much can you take? So, Louise, yeah. I know you wanted to go there. We was up in here dancing. It's like, girl, <laughs> yes. Okay. So, look, Carmen, um, <clears throat> I'm about to go there. I clear my throat. But see, we, first of all, we 
have been your supporters forever. Forever. And I okay, I'm talking on the ground, regular folk just supporting. Okay, I would be talking to my television every day, cussing out people, thinking about driving to Seattle and just fighting somebody random. Because you know, I uh -uh, leave her alone. That kind of that kind of thing was like family. You understand? And I know you don't know me, but or should I say, Anne? What if you can share with us the inside of Carmen? What was the moment like inside of you? Was there a moment? Just one. Out of all of that mess, that moment where, when you, what did that look like when you finally said, mm -mm, yeah, I'm done? You no, know, it was kind of a culmination of things. And I, I'll tell you, I, I put in the book, it's called Black and Blue um, uh, Leadership Lessons on um, Breaking Barriers and Racial Reconciliation. And there was a point in there where, you know, I would have stuck it out because I really, I really cared about what I was doing. I love the department and I actually appreciated the profession I was in. But, you know, and I go through that whole scenario of having to um, lay off the officers and have the budget cuts and really going back and forth with city council about it. You know, and they really weren't listening to me at the time anyway. But what that meant was that I was going to have to lay off like our most recent hires, which had a lot of them, a large percentage, almost 40 percent were women and uh, minority officers. And I just, you know, you can imagine being the first black woman. And then under my tenure and legacy, you know, we let go of the most, um, you know, the most diversity in the department. And then the budget gets cut. They were talking about cutting it by, you know, up to 50%. The budget gets cut. And so, you know, you can already surmise. People don't want to believe it, but, you know, we can surmise it's going to be an uptick in crime. You let people go. And all of those things would happen. And no one's going to talk about budget cuts. They're going to be looking at the police chief saying, you know, what's the problem? So it was really a couple of things. One, I felt like they were setting me up for failure. Yep. Um, and number two, I just didn't want my legacy to be that, you know, I wasn't going to be the one that mm -hmm. I made it very clear to uh, lay off these officers. And, you know, and, and Melanie, you were saying that you watched the press conference. You know, at that press conference, I read the email that that officer sent me one of the officers sent me that was likely going to get laid off under um, under the policy that was being instituted. And, you know, it was it really broke my heart. I literally was crying when I read his email. And I got hundreds, you know, of, you know, people, well wishes and other thoughts. But, you know, it, it just, it struck a, a, you know, chord with me because I met him, I talked to him. He was very excited about coming into this profession, young African-American male. And we were going to let them go. And, and I was, I kept thinking, to what end? Well, how is this helping anything? And what is the game plan for mm -hmm. you know, moving forward? And I never saw it. So I, I so I will, I, that's my long-winded way of saying, you know, through that process, I kept, you know, fighting. But once I realized that it was likely to happen, uh, then I just said, I'm going to, I'm out. You know, I have to, I have to step aside. I cannot, um, you know, stand by and do this. It just was against my convictions. And the good thing that came out of it, and I said this before, was that I think people were kind of, you know, tangentially aware of all the issues a lot had gone on. But once I said I was leaving, even those who weren't paying attention were like, well, what is going on over there mm -hmm. with the council and the police department? I mean, it, it caused a lot of folks to, to pay closer attention to what was happening. And I thought that was important, too. And did they actually end up laying off everybody and defunding the budget like they said they was threatening to do under you? Interestingly enough, they did not do you know they did they did cut the budget some and they did do some reorganization and they're still cutting the budget if you want to know the truth about it but it wasn't at that extreme measure uh, that they had talked about doing earlier okay. um, that was going to lay folks off and did the people are these people still working the ones that um were at risk uh, some of the officers are you know the, the police department has lost uh, just because of the whole tone and tenor of what's been happening in Seattle in particular, they've lost about 300 officers in the last, since I left, mm -hmm. so it's about a year and a half. It's a lot of folks. 
you know, they just decided that, that they were going to walk away or go to another profession or go to another agency. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful that they'll turn it around, you know, that we'll find an area where people can come together and have, you know, the dialogue we need to have and move things forward. I mean, nobody wants, you know, injustice, you know, but especially at the hands of the police. And we've seen that. But we also recognize we have to have, you know, some sort of public safety response. It just can't be a free for all. Right. Now, on that same note, I saw, um, I think it was last week on the news that um, some of the officer, the laid off officers were coming back. Uh, they, I think they had actually left and a few of them are coming back. We always have, you know, some that will come back. I think they felt like maybe uh, the tide is going to turn a little bit. Uh, and so some are coming back. I don't know the exact number, but they have seen some. But okay. it, 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 it's a small percentage when you're talking, you know, over 300. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, um, i got another <coughs> clear my throat question. Uh, Denny Durkin. Okay. What are your, what, what, so you work with her up close and personal. Who, who she is really? Give us some insight on her. You know, you know, Audrey, when I talk about, you know, the mayor, I, I have to temper that with saying, look, it, you have to recognize it, she had a really hard job. And I know folk, there are folks that are in her camp or not in her camp, you know, but I, I was there at the end when people were going to her house where, you know, there was, it was complete dysfunction with the council. Uh, and so, I, you know, I think it's no secret that we started off pretty rocky. I mean, I talk about that in the book, Black and Blue, but, you know, towards the end, uh, you know, I thought she was really trying to, um, to help, you know, minimize some of the impacts of some of the decision-making, but it was, it was a hard road to hoe at that point. And everyone was, uh, you know, they caught on to the mantra, defund, and it was just really hard to get a dialogue and a conversation about, okay, what does that mean? And how are we going to mm-hmm. move forward? So, you know, I, I you know, I, I have nothing bad to say about the mayor. I just think that it's a really tough job. Uh, you know, we started out a little bit shaky, but I think, you know, over time, uh, things were better. And over time, she's not the mayor anymore. Mm-hmm. So let, let's move on. Um, the part about... I don't want to lose the part about that moment, right? Because I think where learning and even healing for folks can come is maybe understanding once you made that decision and it was over and behind you, uh, what were the days forward? Did you, was depression a part of it? Um, Did you, yeah, or how did you, how did you detox from that energy that you have been engrossed in so much? So, so many folks make these life-changing decisions. And then did you second guess yourself? Maybe I shouldn't have done it. I mean, what were those moments that in front yeah, I don't think I really went to depression, but you know, you don't, you, you have to really weigh it out. Am I doing the right thing? I don't want to abandon folks, but at the same time, I can't go forward under this. At some point, there, there is a line in the sand that has yes. to be drawn. And I did take, you know, about 30 days off. Okay. Just to, you know, decompress, not worry about the police. So, it, you know, I wasn't reading the newspapers or doing anything like that, just giving myself some time and some space to, you know, sort of reflect and do some healing. And it was during that time that I decided I wanted to write that book, mm. by the way, you know, to, uh, because I thought that that would be, one, something I could give back and to a little bit of, you know, just sort of putting it out there. There's lots of speculation and opinions and thoughts. So I, I wanted to, you know, kind of clarify some of that and also give back in my own way. So mm. you have to do that. It was such a life-changing moment, but sometimes you have to make a decision and once the decision is made, you just need to go through, open that door and go through it, right? And and, that, and see what's on the other side. And honestly, uh, it, it worked out just fine. You know, I was, I was able to find, you know, to work, uh, still do things um, involving law enforcement, but now at a national level and a much mm-hmm. broader perspective, you know, speaking engagements and other things, as well as MSNBC. And so it worked out fine. You know, um, and it worked out that I think the way it was supposed to. But, you know, I, I knew if I, if I stayed around, who knows what it would have been. Probably not a good thing for me and probably not a good thing for the organization. Yeah. yeah. Look, um, here go another. <clears throat> Girl, you going to New York? 
<laughs> I don't know. Right? You okay. Know, so, what you know about New York? <laughs> you know, I will, I will say this. Um, uh, you know, I know that they are going to be putting a new commissioner in place in, in the near future. You know, if if given the opportunity, I would love to do it. You know, we'll wait to see what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot of folks who probably feel the same way. Um, it certainly is going to be history making, no matter who uh, the the woman is that, uh, that goes there. So um, I'm excited. I'm waiting like everyone else to see uh, what the mayor decides. But I find him. I don't know him personally, but obviously I've been listening to you know his speeches and um, you know reading his 100-point plan, and I find him inspiring, you know, because otherwise I wouldn't, I really had no desire to go back into law enforcement right away, but, you know, I find, I find uh, Eric Adams inspiring, so, you know, we'll see what happens. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to say this, um, so listeners can hear this first on What Say You today, December 12th, 2021. Listen, God has laid his divine hands on you and he has brought you through this journey for a purpose. So whatever happens with New York, that's going to be your purpose. And I'm going to claim your purpose right now and say, we going to miss you, girl, but we going to be with you always. Okay, girl, what say you? What say you? What I say? (laughs) Yay, yay. Receive that, Carmen. Go ahead now. Yeah. Well, I, you put it out in the atmosphere and in the yes. universe. I, you know, let's we'll see what happens. But we'll see what uh, happens? So listen, a- I um, I want to ask you. So, so one of the biggest things on my mind is how you just managed not to take things personally. And you and I had uh, we had a, a situation in common uh, at PLU not right. too long ago where people were really coming for you. So we got to go to break right now. Uh, but when we come back, I really want to delve into how do you just not take all that nastiness personally? We'll be back in a moment. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. Most colleges raise tuition each year, but they don't increase their students' scholarships or financial aid. That means that students and their families are often forced to pay upwards of ten dollars to $12,000 more than they expected. This can push families into financial hardship or force students to leave their university with debt and without a degree. At PLU, we're stopping that cycle. That's why our fixed tuition guarantee ensures that your cost of tuition will be locked in from your first day to your graduation day. Learn more at plu.edu tuition. Welcome back, listeners. We are joined today on the mic with Carmen Best. She is author of Black and Blue, Lessons on Leadership, Breaking Barriers, and Racial Reconciliation. And she's also a homegirl from Tacoma. That's the best part, Cam 253. So, yeah, Louise, we were having a good time with Carmen so far. Yeah, we are. We are. And before we went to break, um, you were asking Carmen, how she dealt with the criticism and um, specifically about uh, the people's gathering. What I shared during the break is I really need to hear what she has to say because, you know, I I, I just want to cut everybody. That's my (laughs) first, um, that's my first thought. And I know it's not right. So go ahead, Carmen. And you are talking to the police. Say you, Carmen. Uh, we know you do what's right, but it was, it was, it was, it kind of surprised me that, um, you know, when Melanie was telling me, you know, I was one of four African-American women on the People's Gathering uh, panel, and it was really a very uplifting, wonderful event. Very well run, Melanie. I cannot say enough good about it. But um, beforehand, there were some folks who were not wanting me to even have, um, you know, the ability to even talk you know, about, you know, my experiences or thoughts or anything. And it really was a part of that sort of that cancel culture of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mm -hmm. automatically jumping on, you know, some things that you don't like. And I I understand there's some things people just will not agree with. Uh, I know that some folks that said that I called the protesters violent, but I I didn't say all the protesters are violent, but there were some violent people within 
the group. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, yes. But people globbed on to that. Like, she's saying we're all violent. Oh, absolutely not. My own family was part of the demonstration. I know they're not violent. So, you know, it was it was that kind of thing where they just would glom on to certain things. Uh, and, you know, none of it, I, you know, I just took it all with a grain of salt. I do think that when, when Melanie told me that someone had said that, you know, that my presence was detrimental to African-American men, that did hit a, uh, hit a nerve to be honest with you, you know, because obviously I have, you know, a father, uh, uncles, you know, nephews, you know, I'm raising my nephew or he's living with me now. So it was like, you know, that just seemed a bit harsh, uh, particularly come from somebody who probably has no experience in this, in this field, mm-hmm. in this area whatsoever. So, I, you know, I appreciate that Millie and I had a real good conversation about it. And I love the way she handled it uh, in terms of just inviting them in to listen you know, is not suppress your thoughts or opinions. You're certainly entitled to them. You can do that, but you should listen first. And I think that's a good teaching moment, you know, for all of us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, you know, going back to original, you just have to develop thick skin. Uh, if you're in any way in leadership, if you're uh, any way in the public eye, in some cases, you have to know there are times that I walk into a room, uh, and particularly back then, I would realize uh, no one's going to be happy when I leave. Right. Like there's there's some very polarized opinions here. Uh and no one's gonna be thrilled about any of it. But you know, you have to do what you think is best, um, you know, for everyone involved to the degree that you can. You know, go ahead. Yeah, let me give uh to our listeners, because we we got them all over the place, all over the United States, even outside of 253 now. Uh give yeah. some context on the people's gathering. This is the c- conference that we host at Pacific Lutheran University. This is the conference where that we host at Pacific Lutheran University, where we openly talk about race and teaching people how to have different difficult conversations. So, Carmen, you were invited as a panelist to share your perspective, your personal story for being, uh, you know, of being a a top police person. I think we said top cop. Um, But the backlash that came and it was such a coordinated effort. And I'm just going to say this, the majority of the backlash, 100% was white people, white people slandering you, calling you names. I don't know what they was thinking. Maybe they didn't go on the website and see my picture. I I don't know what they were thinking that I was going to allow that kind of nonsense to go by when I know that they didn't even know you as a human being. And you're right. It's the cancel culture. And I mean, the viciousness of what they were saying about you and listeners, some of it's just not worth repeating. But we, what we see, it's so outrageous. What we see now, and Carmen referred to as cancel culture, it just reminds me so much of uh, how our politicians in Washington are being so vicious with one another and mm-hmm. calling each other out of their names, and uh, I mean, just just taking the whole political system down in the gutter. That was what was happening with what the people were trying to do with Carmen. And it was like, no, it's not going to happen on my watch. And and it wasn't just black males, Carmen, that they were saying that you were going to be detrimental to. They were claiming that your presence on the people's gathering stage would be detrimental to all black students. Well, listen, I do remember specifically, Mel, when you called me and told me about that. I remember, okay, so as Jaylene says, for one of all, all. (laughs) you, how you white people, how, in what context do you even have an opinion about what is going to affect black people? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that, that's why so, when I read that, I was like, I, I know this white women, woman didn't say what, uh, but then they copied and pasted because it was it was the whole family that started sending in stuff. Right? I remember. And, and uh, then, but then, but yeah. then, but then this was the messy part. And I'm saying messy because I caught it and I called it out that that uh, she sent the emails to one part of the university and then another part of the university. And so it was a cut and paste situation. So when she sent the email to the one part of the university, that one part of the university sent the email to me. And then she sent the email directly to me, but ha ha, when she sent it to me, 
she cut out the part. She cut out something. Cut yep. out the part about being detrimental to black students. She yep. cut that part out when she sent it so to me. But when she sent it to the top, top part of the university, she gonna tell the university that you gonna be detrimental too. And, and so anyway, it was just so fun. And I say fun because this was, um, this is really the work. When you talk about the reconciliation, the, this was really the reconciliation work. What, what would I do? Do I get all loud? Well, first of all, let's just give a shout out to PLU. Because yes. yes. let's just be like, yes, to PLU. Because they were calm and cool about it. And yes, these are people that are affiliated with us in different capacities. It could have you know, different ramifications, this, that, and another, but the leadership was calm. And it was like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And at the end of the day, the people's gathering is to teach. So when right. you said, let's lead. Yes. Let us lead yes. and let us show you how. And at the end of the day, when we did invite them to come to the conference for free, we said, we'll give them a scholarship. They didn't even come. Well, girl, now you know Billy Bob and, and Mary Ann ain't coming. That 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 there, there was no positive intent there at all. I do want to say that I loved the way that PLU handled that as well. The transparency of it all was just, I think, marvelous. And so at the end of the day, one monkey didn't get to stop no show. Yes. And what also rose up was the the seriousness and how our students uh inquire and find things out because our student body had gotten a hold of that too, right? And so the student leadership needed to, you know, I got summoned to the uh, ASPLU, you know, the president right. and all the diversity directors. and uh, But it was a beautiful experience to watch how, and this is our future leaders, right? Our future leaders that we're sending out into the world and in real time, they are working with uh, this situation that involves a high level official and the national this. And I'm, it was so beautiful. Our PLU students are, are awesome. Um, but Carmen, how, just not taking that personally, how did, does any of it get through? Yeah, well, you know, I recognize it for what it was. And, and, you know, as you said, you know, we have to give PLU credit. And Mel Melanie, you're being very humble here. We have to give you credit, too. That could have gone a number of different ways, you know. But when somebody takes, you know, the leadership there to say, OK, let's step back and take a look at this. What What is this really? And, you know, we're, and as you said, the whole point of the, of the gathering is to have these really uh, meaningful discussions. So why would we not want all the stakeholders at the table? Uh, and I, I just thought the way you took the lead on that. Of course, I appreciate PLU for um, listening, you know, and then I think that the people's gathering went really well. People asked very, um, very, you know, inquisitive questions. They were very in tune with what was happening. Um, you were leading those conversations. And uh, yeah, and so I felt very gratified uh, that it worked out the way it was supposed to. But I really recognized it as just the council culture. Like I, I if I put a, a tweet out, somebody might be like a, a hundred people saying the same thing over and over, but it's very organized, you know, as a way of, you know, trying to silence, uh, you know, someone they don't, maybe don't want to hear from for whatever reason. Uh, and that's really not a, not a part of our good democracy. Everybody should have a chance to have me part of that conversation, whatever it is. That's yeah. right. That's right. Sis, sis, please. So I have um, one question, cause I know we're coming, we're coming up on time, but, uh, Carmen, what is it that you would like us to know when I say us, I'm talking to five, three and everybody else out there that you have not already written about in your book that you want us to know about you? Oh my goodness. I can't, that is hard because I kind of put it out there. I share so many stories and there's a million more, but we all have those. Um, you know, I'm pretty much an open book about everything. Uh, I, but people really, I will say this, and as, as I'm thinking about it, we were talking about this earlier, uh, that some people just assume that, you know, because of the profession I was in for so long, that, that makes me a certain mindset. So I have like, 
you know, folks called me and want me to speak at the Republican National Convention or whatever. And I was like, um, <laughs> where does that come from? But I think it was they they, they make this assumption that you that if you're um, you know, pro-police, so to speak, or you believe in law enforcement, um, that somehow that means that you are against, you know, other, you know, other values. Mm-hmm. But you can be both. I just, I'm not, right? I'm both in, right? I, I want the profession. I recognize the, the challenges that are there. Certainly not saying that it's 100%, uh, you know, perfect. Um, but, you know, recognizing the challenges, but also wanting it to do better. And also recognizing the need. And so I would just say this, you know, I I definitely believe and want people to know and hope that they do know that I am all about, you know, justice for all of us. Particularly, I'll be very frank, particularly for those who suffered them at the hands of most uh, police and injustice, which is African-American people. While pe- all people of color have had their share of, of trials and tribulations, we know the history, uh, but particularly Black folks. So I definitely share in the concern about it, but I also, you know, care about the, the stakeholders, you know, across the board. That makes mm-hmm. sense. So anyway, that's just something that they may or may not know about me, but I do want to share that piece. I've got a random question. How how do you mix up a gun and a taser? Yeah, there is. I, I do not have an answer for that. It's really funny when that case first came, I was just... I said, you know, I have to say, it seems like it's really hard to, like, that would be almost impossible to do. And um, then, you know, I don't personally carry a taser, but I talked to some of the officers who not only carry, but officers who train. I talked to the company who makes tasers, uh, you know, one of the companies in there, and they were saying, like, they intentionally make it a different weight, a different feel. A lot of places require you to carry it, you know, not on the same side even as you carry your firearm but even if you did it just it's just not the same right Mm -hmm. it's it's a completely different feel to it so it's really hard to understand how that happens Uh, you know unless some you know i'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist unless but i'm thinking unless you just go completely cold black you know what i mean like you just are in a whole nother zone uh because it's hard to understand how that happens well Uh, i know how it happened the caucasity rose to its highest level and it clouded uh the judgment the caucasity that's the word we love to use on this program to say just white people because caucasity means shits white people do just because they white and um so i'm just saying that the caucasity rose up and just took over it went to the brain and then it came back down to the hand and and then it just confused itself that's what you sound like, does don't you i sound, sound like, like jaylene jaylene <laughs> you sound like jaylene when she was telling diagnosing papa with the um <laughs> it just rolls up it, it rolls up and it's smoky in your head and <laughs> listen I'm glad you asked that question and that is why I'm gonna bring this full circle that is why I'm very centered in my joy because I have been watching that case, Dante Wright, mm-hmm. watching the case um, as it's been going along and the testimony and all uh, trying to make him, he done killed his, he done killed himself, you know. Make yeah, the just like George Floyd killed himself. Just like that, yeah. But I'm glad, I'm glad that you asked that question and Carmen, I'm glad that you weighed in on it and because I've been having a hard time wrapping my brain around how how that happens but at the end of the day all of that could have been done differently just from the moment they stepped out of the car when because i keep coming back to this is about so this baby is dead over some air freshener that was hanging from the mirror because that's what the stop was about air freshener hanging from the mirror there could have been a different way right yeah, you know, any stop before gun, before any of that. Right. You know, any stop has, I mean, I, you know, I've been from both sides of this. They can have some danger when you're stopping cars, you don't know who's in or what's happening. But you have to have something that indicates that there's a threat before you respond. That's what the whole point of training is. You know, so you stop some cars, I stop cars myself as an officer and pulled a lot of guns out. 
I didn't have to sh- to shoot at anybody at those times. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, those those situations are all unique and going to be you know looked at on a case by case. But this one perplexes. You know, I haven't heard anybody that I've talked to, and I've talked to several cops about it. They can understand what happened. Uh, you know, yeah. other than there's no reasonable explanation. You know, there, I'm sure there'll be one coming forth in the, as a quick case continues, but not one that any of us who've been trained can, can, get a, can figure out. Okay, I got one last random before we go. Not not random, but it's not in any order. Uh, defund the police. Uh, I feel like that's that's a slogan that people put out there to keep us distracted um, from what is really happening. And it's our public safety, you know, it's our safety. It's it's the real issue. Um, What what do you, uh, how do you define all of that and make sense of it? And then what say you about it? Because I went to Norway and they don't carry guns in uh, Norway and I, also got to interview black men in Norway that, you know, and, and talk to them about their relationship with the police. And they're like, oh, you know, the police are the police. You know, I think they got a gun. You know, they weren't even sure. You see in my video, they weren't even sure the process for the police to get mm-hmm. done. You know, they're like, I think they got to go ask somebody or something. But that was so interesting. Yeah. And then to know that we've got this heightened level of everything around guns and police and stuff here in the United States. So um, defund the police. What say you about that in any way that you wish? Well, yeah, Amelia, a couple things. One is that, you know, the, the, uh, the ability or the right to carry guns is so entrenched in our culture. I mean, it's, it's not just about policing. It's about folks will, you know, they'll go to the mats about their their right to have guns. I mean, you know that that is a longstanding area of contention, you know, with a number of folks in this country. So beyond policing, I mean, it's, you know, people want to be able to carry guns, many, uh, and, they, and they, you know, really point to their Second Amendment right to carry firearms. And a lot of us are not against that, just want to have some common sense laws along with it. You know, but um, so there, there's something inherent in the culture about, you know, gun ownership and being able to carry guns that isn't necessarily inherent in other cultures. So we can start there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then we also we have also inherent as our cultures, you know, a very strong um, history, you know, there were this racial division, you know. Um, and so, you know, that's a piece of it, too. Uh, and when it comes to, you know, defund the police, I, I mean, in all fairness, we know that there's been a history that we have to, you know, acknowledge, you know, and the police haven't always been on the right side of that history. But, you know, defunding and not having a police department, I, I just don't think that's the answer. Mm-hmm. And by the way, depending upon who you talk to, there's so many different definitions. I heard someone say, uh, he goes, let me be clear, we're talking about abolish. You know, another person says, well, let me be clear, we're talking about, you know, changing some of the funding. So it's never been clearly defined, depending upon who you talk to. But I will say this, um, you know, when, it, when we move forward, I don't think it's a, we should be taking money out of the department and putting in other places. But I do think we should be finding ways to also, you know, provide services that are needed. Because often, you know, we're dealing with homelessness, um, mental health, addiction, all of those things combined, you know, and, and systems that aren't, you know, aren't funded enough to help folks. And then we end up dealing with them on the street, you know, in crisis situations or mm-hmm. other things. So, you know, we do, we should be doing more on those lines. I mean, we can't deny that. Mm-hmm. So let's find a way to, to do both. And, you know, we do, we do need officers to respond. Nobody wants to have to call in a rape, a robbery, a burglary, an assault, and nobody responds. Right. That's not what you want. You just want to make sure that the response is fair and just and ethical and that you get the same response, whether you have melanin in your skin or not, that everyone else does. So let's let's work on those issues. Um, uh, But let's not let's I just think the defund and not having police is not a realistic or even a viable option, um, you know, to keep people safe. And when I've asked about it, you know, it's like, what are we going to do? And people will say, well, we'll just we'll police ourselves. And we all know that's Mm -hmm. not it's not that, that will not be happening. Well, and here, I want to I want to say this real quickly. I look at the pol- the police as one officer at a time. That's right. 
And the reality is I've lived in the same spot for 22 years in Tacoma. And it's a busy street. And I have had occasion and I am, I am the police on my street. Ain't nobody, they ain't nominated me. I ain't got to no training, but I look out for everybody. And it's given me the opportunity to call the police on many occasions. Okay. Over 22 years. And I can say uh, with a hundred percent certainty, my experience, one officer at a time has always been good. Yeah. There are other officers that I have not interacted with, but mine has always been good. So defund that broad, that, that cut and dry. No, 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 no. Yeah. To, to call the police, we, they have their struggles. TPD, come on now. Yeah, come no, through. come on. Yeah, TPD, you can rise up a little bit. And, you know, we ain't throwing you out. You know, we're we, not throwing we them under. Everybody you. don't get thrown under the bus. No, because it's one no, officer at a time. Okay, okay, listen, I know we got to go. But Carmen, look, this is my last question. You um, you said you had a big family. You got an uncle or a cousin or a brother for me? I know. Uh, you know I'm single. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> we're all we're all looking, Melanie. So we have a cousin, maybe there. I know. <laughs> I have to start looking. I have to start seeing. Oh, we got our- <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being with us today, Carmen. This has been so joyful. Thank you, Carmen. Take care. Yes, yes. Louise, you got anything else to say? Now I'm just gonna say thank you. It has been a blessing. Don't forget, I don't claim uh, New York for you. And um, yeah, we could just drop the mic. All right, drop the mic. Thank you. thank you for listening to What Say You. If you have conversation ideas or want to follow up on what you heard, please contact Melanie by email at melanie at missmelanie.com. M-E-L-A-N-N-I-E at M-I-S-S-M-E-L-A-N-N-I-E dot com. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. The What Say You podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, and We Art Tacoma. This is Channel 253.